Uh, take our ears and hear through them. Take our minds and think through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire for Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. So this summer, we are talking about the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, this morning, the fruit of peace. And I thought it would be cool for us to have a fruit tree up here today. And actually, for the rest of the summer, this is actually a dwarf apple tree. You can see a couple apples up there. Uh, King David variety, which I never heard of before, but that seems very fitting for a church worship service. So uh, we're going to have this tree up here for the rest of this series, uh, which means you can wish me well in trying to keep it alive for the rest of the summer. And I hope at the end of this series, one of you will take it and plant it in your yard, your garden, your field. So talk to me afterward. Of course, if you drive up to Hood River, you can find whole orchards of apple trees and orchards of pear trees. And I think there's some plum trees up there. And if you drive up Highway 35 toward Mount Hood, you'll soon find yourself in forests of fir trees and cedar trees and hemlock trees. Down where I grew up, down in central California, uh, we had families in our church who had orchards of cherry trees, uh, orchards of apricot trees and, uh, and almond trees. And when we'd go up into the Sierras, uh, we'd find ourselves in forests of lodgepole pines and aspens and even groves of giant sequoias. And most of the time, when we see an orchard or when we are out in a forest, what we notice are individual trees. And it's the same thing in our neighborhoods. Right? In fact, on, uh, on Tuesday, uh, Kristen and Michael and I went down to see Kurt Weaver at his house in Milwaukee. And the way I know where Kurt Weaver's house is, I look for a tree. There is an enormous tree in Kurt's front yard. Now, let me just say parenthetically, Kurt is doing really well. If you don't know, Kurt's our pastor of youth. Uh, he had to have surgery, uh, what, almost two weeks ago now. He's on a medical leave, but he's doing really well. The surgery seems to have been very effective. He's up and he's walking around quite a, quite a bit each day. Uh, he's got a little ways to go in his recovery, so, so do keep him in your prayers. But that tree up front of their house, uh, his and Karen's house, has got to be, so those of you who have been there, what do you say? Is it eight feet in diameter, maybe 10 feet in diameter? It's enormous. I think it might be a coastal redwood. Kurt thinks it might even be, actually, a sequoia. So next time uh, you're driving down on River Road, uh, take a look, uh, find that tree, and uh, we'll say a prayer for Kurt as you pass by it, too. But the thing is, those trees, even enormous trees like the one in front of Kurt's yard, those trees don't stand alone. Trees are not just independent, solitary, self-contained sentinels. What we're learning is that trees are connected to each other. And not only to trees of their own species, trees are connected to other species of trees and to other organisms. There's a whole, un, a whole network underneath the ground. There's a whole forest underneath the forest. So some of you might be familiar with the work of Susan Samard. She's a uh, professor of forest ecology up at University of British Columbia. And she did a lot of pioneering work in this field. She wrote a book recently called Finding the Mother Tree. And what she found in her research is that trees and, and a, thed, a thread thin fungi, which is actually hollow and, and can stretch up to seven miles in length, trees and this fungi form what's called a mycorrhizal network. Now stay with me because this does have something to do with where we're going in the sermon. Um, Trees, and most of us learn this in, in school, trees are really good at photosynthesis, right? Trees are good at taking carbon dioxide out of the air and turning it into what scientists call a, a sugar. Um, but trees need more than that. Tree, trees need nutrients. They need minerals 
from the ground, and they're not as good at getting those minerals out of the ground. In fact, one scientist said that if trees were truly isolated, if, true, trees were, if a tree was left on its own, it would only ever be about 12 inches tall because it needs those minerals to generate the strength to grow to the heights of trees, even like the one in Kurt's front yard. Now, fungi, on the other hand, they're really good at mining these minerals, at drawing the minerals out of the earth. They're not good at producing those sugars, though, that they need. And so the trees and the fungi are dependent. They're interdependent. They form this mycorrhizal network. In fact, Samara, in one of her experiments, uh, showed that one tree in a grove was connected to 47 other trees, and they estimated that that tree was connected to as many as 250 other trees. It's what she called a mother tree. Now, when she started in this field of forestry, the common practice up here in the Pacific Northwest was to clear-cut trees, right? To harvest the lumber as efficiently as possible, and then on that barren stretch of ground to replant with a single species, because the theory was that nature is fundamentally competitive. And so they thought if they only plant a single species on a cleared-out plot of ground, there'll be no competition. Those trees will have all the access they need to the water, to the sunlight. They thought the trees would go, grow well, but they didn't. Turns out the trees thrive when they are part of a healthy underground network. It's what one scientist with a, a certain kind of sense of humor called, called the wood wide web. So, yeah, I wasn't too impressed with it either, but I thought it was pretty cool. See, it strikes me, though, that that notion of being connected to a network, of interdependence, of cooperation, is a very helpful way to think about growing the fruit of peace. Now, peace is one of those words that can mean a lot of things. Most often, we recognize it in its absence. We know what not peace looks like. There is not peace in Ukraine and in Russia. There is not peace in the Sudan. There is not peace in the West Bank or Gaza or Israel. Uh, there is not peace in the scorched earth politics of our country right now. And we know when there's not peace in our families, not peace in our minds, or in our souls. We know what it looks like when there is not peace. But what does peace look like? And what does Paul mean in Galatians? He writes about the fruit of peace. Well, in Paul's time, and this would have been the ancient Mediterranean, uh, there was a heavy influence of Greek philosophy. And for Greek philosophers, uh, the aim of life was serenity, it was tranquility. So one scholar wrote, among the Greeks, peace was viewed largely in negative terms to mean absence of pain in the body or trouble in the mind. This life was obtained via self-sufficient independence from anything that caused trouble. Okay. This was especially true of the Stoics. So one Stoic philosopher was a guy named Epictetus, and uh, for Epictetus, the object of the worship of the gods was in fact freedom from all internal and external ties. Freedom from all ties. That to me sounds a lot like clear-cutting. No ties, no connections. Peace that comes from uh, clearing everything else away. Peace that comes from disentangling oneself. That was a Greek philosophical approach. Paul was Jewish. And so for Paul, his notion of peace comes from the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom, rather different from the Greek conception. Not just negative, as, as we've heard earlier. Not just the absence of pain or trouble in one's body or mind. But it's a positive notion. It's the presence of whatever makes for healthy, 
whole lives and relationships and communities. It's deeply personal. We have peace when our hearts are at rest, when our relationships are healthy, when we have a sense of well-being. But peace is also public and social and structural. It's the peace that comes when people are not afraid, when everyone has what they need to thrive. If you were here last week, and Melinda Berry was one of the professors at our seminary in, um, in Elkhart, Indiana. She talked about this word shalom, and she said that peace is not the absence of violence. It's the presence of justice. That's different from the Greek philosophy. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of well-being and wholeness. And not just personal well-being, but wholeness for all people, for all of the earth. Not detached or self-sufficient or insulated, but entangled in the common life of God's creation. And that's the story that the Bible tells. The scriptures make clear that we are all connected, and they make it clear from the very beginning, right? We're all, con- we're all created by God, and we're created to live at peace. It's also clear that we are not at peace when we break those connections. So in Genesis, in the beginning, in Eden, creation was abundant. It was blessed. It was fertile. It was purposeful. No enmity, no strife. But in the garden, Adam and Eve, our first parents, refused the ways of God. Soon after, one of their sons, Cain, killed another son, Abel. And just a few chapters later, I think it's chapter 6 in Genesis, uh, the time of Noah, the Lord saw that the wickedness of humans was great in the earth. We are not at peace when we break the connections for which we are created, connections to God, to each other, um, to the earth itself. And that's what Paul's writing about uh, here in Galatians chapter 5. So in verse 13, right at the start of our reading this morning, he writes, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. And then he describes what it looks like when we do, when we seek our self-interest, when we are free from concern for others. Now the works of the flesh are sexual immorality and impurity and enmities and strife and jealousy and dissensions and factions and envy. We are not going to find peace when we break trust when we break relationships, when we break hearts, when we break hopes. And of course, we still live with those fractures. We still live with those fissures. We live in a culture that values individualism, freedom from obligations, freedom from responsibilities, freedom for self-interest. Our economy is built on scarcity and competition. Get what you can and then protect what you got. Our politics often plays on the fear of others. Fear of immigrants, fear of Muslims, fear of the trans community. We're not going to find peace when we break connections, when we break the interdependence that's woven into the fabric of God's creation. And so in the Gospels, and remember, the word gospel literally means good news. So in the Gospels, the good news is that Jesus reminds us of the kind of life for which we're created. He calls it the kingdom of God, or the beloved community. Where the, ble- where the poor are blessed and, hungry and the hungry are fed. And forgiveness replaces vengefulness. And people who are, have been oppressed are set free. In the Gospels, Jesus shows us what it looks like to love God with our whole hearts and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And by the power, by the presence of the Spirit in us and around us and among us, by the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of grace and patience and courage and wisdom, and hope. Jesus makes it possible for us to live 
at peace. And the peace that Jesus promises begins by being connected to God, the creator, God the giver of peace. Peace comes when we are free of fear. It comes when we feel safe. It comes when we know that we are loved. There are times when we are not at peace. Times when the connections in our life have been broken. Times when we fail to love people that we care about. Times when we fail to be the person that we want to be. There are times that we can be pretty unlovable. And that's why what Jesus says is such good news. Jesus says that we are never beyond the bounds of God's love. Jesus says that we can be forgiven, that we can be given a fresh start. There's a story in the Gospel of John where Jesus says to his friends, he says to his followers, my peace I give to you. Jesus, the one through whom God is reconciling the world, says still, my peace I give to you. So take a deep breath. Take a deep breath and let the Spirit, the Spirit that was in Christ, fill you, forgive you, settle you, infuse you with peace. Peace comes of connecting our life to the very life of God. So this week, pay attention to your breath. Remember to breathe deeply and let the spirit of peace fill you. Peace comes when we connect our life to the life of God, and it comes when we connect our life to God's work of peacemaking in the world. In John, John chapter 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. So I found myself wondering this week, if Jesus had been born in the Pacific Northwest instead of the ancient Middle East, I wonder if he might have said something like, I am the mother tree and you are the mycorrhizal network. Those who abide in me and I in them, those who are entangled in the web of relationships that God has woven into the fabric of creation, those people will bear the fruit of peace. We are called to connect our lives to God's work of peacemaking, the work of compassion and service and healing and mercy and justice. And for Paul, in the reading today, it's all summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, which is something we hear most weeks in church. The truth is, most weeks I need to hear it. Most weeks I need to be reminded, and I'm guessing you do too. Most weeks I need to be reminded to resist the temptation to see some people as more valuable than others, to resist the self-serving narrative of scarcity and the impulse to compete rather than to cooperate and share, to resist the tendency to become hard-hearted or cynical or disengaged or insulated. Most weeks, I need to be reminded that all of us, all of us, even the ones that I most easily disparage and disdain, all of us are created in the image of God. I need to be reminded that the gifts of life, the gifts of the good earth, the gifts of God are given for everyone to have a part in. I need to reminded, be reminded that peace comes when people are hungry or fed, and people who are sick have access to the care they need, and people without a home find a place that's safe to call home. Every week, we're called to connect our lives to God's work of peacemaking in the world. So as you go into this week, 
Notice the trees around you, the trees in your yard, the trees on your block, uh, the trees at the park. Maybe you'll find yourself in an orchard out in Hood River, or maybe you'll find yourself walking in a forest up on Mount Hood. And try to imagine, try to envision the network beneath your feet, the network that connects and supports and sustains those trees. And then look for, watch for, be attentive to the connections in your life. And be grateful for the gifts that are shared with you. And especially for the people that often go unnoticed in our lives. And be generous and compassionate and kind and just so that the gifts of God are shared by all. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.